Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. So we're going to dive into this Ruth chapter 2. I'm going to give you a little bit of background um, before we get into it. Um, Ruth's one of those books, it's only a short one, you can read it in a short amount of time, so it's, it's a phenomenal one. But there's a famine in the land, and it's the time of the judges. And if you know anything about the judges, the time, the period of the judges in the Bible, there is a time when God's people are completely freaking out. They're up, they're down, they're left, they're right. It's a little bit like 2019, God's people all over the shop, right? Book of Judges. It's nice to know that, that people remain people throughout history. But it's the time of Judges, and there's this man, who's called, his name is Elimelech, and he has a wife and two sons. And he takes them into a foreign land because they're in Bethlehem, but there's a famine that's hit. So they go to this foreign land, which is called Moab. And in the foreign land, um, Elimelech, he dies. So Naomi's there with, his, with her two sons, and the two sons marry two Moabite women. One's name is Ruth, the other one's name is Orpah. Naomi's two sons die after this, which is really sad, leaving Naomi and her daughter-in-laws to fend for themselves. News comes to Naomi that the famine has lifted from her homeland, so she decides to return home. And she knows that with her daughter-in-laws with her, the best possible chance that her daughter-in-laws have is to stay back home in Moab because they are foreigners. So if they come with her back to Bethlehem, they're not going to fare so well. So she tries to persuade her daughter-in-laws to stay back in Moab. And Orpah actually reluctantly agrees and goes back, but Ruth cannot be persuaded. She says to Ruth, where you go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. What a remarkable woman. So today we're going to focus on the second act of this story, which is found in Ruth chapter 2. And we're going to read about Naomi's return home to Bethlehem. Um, with Ruth the Moabite. I'm going to read um, verses 1 to 13. I'm going to pray and we're going to launch into this. And I pray it's going to bless you. And not just that, it's going to open up some some things um, in your thinking, in your heart as we head into 2020. From verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered the field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseers of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And wherever, whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground and asked him, 
Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father, mother, and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, as we open this scripture, I ask that you would come and that you would speak, that you would take my words and make them articulate. Father, I ask that, that as we are talking through this message, that each and every one of us will hear the portion which is supplied and given for us. I pray that we would not leave this place the same, that you would change us, and that we would have a view of anticipation and expectancy as we step into a brand new year and a brand new decade. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, if you're familiar with the canon of Scripture that we have, it has taken eight books to get to this little book of Ruth. You have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. And I love the fact that Ruth has appeared so early on in the piece because if it wasn't for Ruth, I would have thought personally that you needed to be some kind of superhero or some person who's larger than life to actually firstly know God and secondly actually be used by God. Because up until this point, it seems that the people who are used by God, they seem to be larger than life. I mean, think about Abraham, Father Abraham. You know, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons has Father Abraham. I'm one of them and so are you, so... You guys are a little bit quiet today. Come on. Last Sunday. This is the last crack. You have Abraham. He's larger than life, isn't he? What about Moses? Moses. Moses is a big figure, isn't he? Moses goes up to Pharaoh, goes up to Pharaoh and says, Pharaoh, you need to let God's people go. Pharaoh says, I'm not going to let them go. Moses says, you better let them go. What does Moses do? Gets out his big stick, doesn't he? Big stick. Gives a big stick. Gives him a whack on the head. Pharaoh lets people go. Larger than life. He's a big fellow, isn't he? Moses. We still look at Moses and say, whoa, Moses. And then after that, you get Joshua. How cool is Joshua? I mean, Joshua's over there. There's a, there's a battle which is happening. Joshua's over there, looks at the sun and says, sun, stand still. Do not move. Do not, not, not even need it. Stay there. And the sun stays there. How many of you have looked at the sun and said, no, you just move over there. I want to go like do some more sunbathing. You know, just stay right there. No. And after that, you get these guys like Gideon and you get Samson and, and then you get all of these amazing big people. And then all of a sudden you come to this little book, which is called Ruth. And it's a story about a woman. And not just a woman, it's a story about a woman who's a widow. And she's not just a widow, but she's a widow who's poor. And not only is she a widow who's poor, she's a poor widow who is an outsider, who's a foreigner. How many times in those 12 or 13 verses do you hear the word, she's a Moab, she's from Moab, she's a Moabite? They're making a really big point, you know, as we look into the land and we see all these people and then there's one person over there named Ruth, they're kind of saying, you know, one of these things is not like the other ones. Like, what, right over there. She looked different. She sounded different. That everything about Ruth is different. She's a foreigner. Not only is she a woman, not only is she a widow, not only is she poor, but she's also an outsider. She does not fit. She does not belong. And this insignificant, unassuming, poor widow called Ruth, who's a foreigner and outsider, somehow gets engrafted into God's redemptive story 
in such an intricate and profound way that her family lineage literally gives birth to King David, whose lineage ultimately makes a way for the rival of our Messiah, our King, Jesus. And it was only a couple of days ago we celebrated that. Let's me know right off the bat, eight books in, little Ruth, the outsider, lets me know straight away that God's huge, God's big, but he's also very personal as well. Have you discovered about that about God in your own life? Yeah, he's big. He owns the universe, but he's very, very personal as well. And because he's personal, he's not intimidated with the mess and the things that you and I are intimidated with. That's really important for us to know. Ruth, this poor outsider, a foreigner, marries a man named Boaz. As you read later on in the story, you find this out. And it seems to me that this insignificant um, outsider gets engrafted into the story, but that really shouldn't surprise us that God likes to do things like this. If you consider Boaz, Boaz had a mother whose name was Rahab. Anyone know of someone in Rahab in the Bible? Now, I could just imagine Boaz like running around as like, a, in, like maybe going through primary school or teenager and all that, and his mates come up to him and say, hey, Boaz, who's your mum? Rahab. Cool. What, what did Rahab used to do for a living? Well, you know, she used to like work in this place called Jericho and, you know, there was only very few women there. There's a couple of hundred men there and she had a very specific job um, over there. And you, you know what? She was a prostitute. That was her job. Imagine that. Rahab is engrafted into the story but, uh, uh, as well. And it seems crazy that God would actually use all of these messy people to actually engraft them to be significant players in his redemptive story of the world. Not just Ruth, but Rahab as well. Can you imagine that? God doesn't seem to be intimidated with mess the same way that you and I are intimidated with mess. He seems to be quite happy and takes delight in using people like prostitutes, Murderers, adulterers, insiders, outsiders, drunkards. You know, he even uses Australians. Did you know that? Are you glad he uses some Aussies as well? And you know what? He's actually not intimidated with your mess. And he's not intimidated with my mess. He's not intimidated at all. We are all redeemed by God to bump his story forward. That should make us very, very glad. So when you give your life to Jesus and you pledge allegiance to Jesus, and when we say Jesus is king, we're not just sitting here in like a waiting room called earth, waiting for our ticket to get to heaven. No, we are actually being engrafted into a story in such an intricate, oh my goodness, my mouth's not working, in such a profound way that he is literally, it's the last Sunday, okay, last Sunday. In such a profound way that he is literally taking your story and my story and knitting it together with his story and pushing history forward. We're not sitting in a waiting room. When we gave our life to Jesus, when he called us and said, you are now part of my family, we're now in the family business, which is the radical transformation of the world. Isn't that incredible? I take such pleasure in that. It's amazing. So he uses all of us. Now, something about this chapter in Ruth, um, which you may not be able to easily identify unless you do some study, is that it's structured in a very specific way. It's structured in a way that we call a chiastic structure when we do um, interpretation of, of books and language and of the Bible. 
And what that basically means is that this chapter actually funnels down to one point, and from that one point, it funnels out. It's actually like this. It actually comes down to one hinge, and from that hinge, it comes out. There's actually a hinge in this chapter, which is very significant. Now, I'm not the smartest person in this room. I know that. But when I think of hinges, I think of doors, don't you? I think of doors. We've got a couple of doors here. People going in and out, they open and close. Hinges, for me, means doors. And there is one hinge of this chapter, which is a question. And what we find significant in this chapter is that everything comes down to this one point, this one hinge, which literally opens up a door for Ruth that she didn't even know was there. And that's what I want to land on today. There are hinges that actually open doors that we are completely unaware of in our life. And I know, like, if you're me, we're in a charismatic church. So I come from a Pentecostal tradition and in a charismatic church, right? And I know for us, sometimes we're a bunch of freaks, right? Because we're always praying for doors, 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 open doors, open doors, open doors. Seems funny to me that we're always praying for doors. And a lot of times in Scripture, doors open in people's lives and they had no idea that a door was there. So it seems reasonable to me that maybe we shouldn't be focusing so much on the door. Maybe we should be focusing on the hinge. Because if there are hinges that open doors, well, we can do something about the hinge. We may not be able to do anything about the door. Because you may be walking into life and we're all going to be walking to 2020 and there will be doors that are opening and you didn't even know it was there. But that's what we're going to do. So in the story of Ruth, there's a door that opens because of this hinge. And um, like I said, she didn't even know that the door was there. So let's talk a little bit about the door. I think you're going to like the door. The door in this chapter is really, really exciting. The door is called the favor of God. In fact, this entire chapter is about the favor of God. And I know it's about the favor of God because that word favor keeps on cropping up time and time and time again. Verse 2 says this, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. Verse 10, At this she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, Why have I found such favour in your eyes that you noticed me a foreigner? Verse 13, May I continue to find favour in your eyes, my Lord? She said, And then the subject matter of favour continues for the rest of the chapter in describing what favour looks like. And favour looks like this, the way that Ruth is treated. She's invited to eat. She's invited to drink. Boaz gives Ruth protection, gives her bodyguards. She has freedom and security while she is in his field. Isn't it amazing that you can be in a certain field and you can have security, you can have safety, but as soon as you trespass into a field where you do not belong, you can feel insecure and you can't have the safety. Anyone like that? You trespass into other fields where you do not belong? And at those moments, those times, the Holy Spirit will come and give you a tap on the shoulder and say, Psst, and say, what, what, what? You just trespass into another field. And sometimes we can go through periods of time and we feel we are so insecure. We feel like we are so lonely. We feel like we are so lost and we've simply trespassed into someone else's field and we just need to get back into the Lord's field where we actually come under his protection again. Is that okay? All right. So she has that as well. Then after that, she goes home to, tell, to show Naomi the food from this favor and then retells the story to Naomi about favor. Favor is what this chapter is all about. 
Anyone interested in a bit of favour in your life? Would anyone like some doors of favour to open in your life? I mean, you've got to be crazy if you don't want some favour. I mean, what is the alternative to favour, right? And I, I am messing it up. I am taking, this is specifically what this chapter is talking about. I am trying to like twist your arm or anything. I am allowing scripture to speak to us. This chapter is about favour. Favour in your life. I understand sometimes we go off on our tangents and we can use words like this to try and manipulate people and pump. No, this is precisely what scripture is saying. There is favour. Favour. Have you ever observed someone's life and thought to yourself, how in the world did that just happen? Have you honestly, you looked at someone and you got a little bit of jealousy, you got a bit of that green-eyed monster who's like, wow, in the world that just happened? You know, that, that, that just came out of nowhere. You know, that person didn't plan for it, didn't strategize for it, they did not even pray for it. <laughs> but somehow a door appeared, and now that it's open, you look back in hindsight, it seems like that door was always supposed to open. Have you ever met someone like that? Doors do open in our life. There are some people here, and I know, a year ago, you did not expect to be in a place where God has brought you right now. Why? Because doors have opened in your life. They have opened in your life. There are some things, I'm going to be honest, that have happened in my life, and I'm sure they've happened in your life, and I am neither smart enough, connected enough, nor am I good enough to have had these blessings just open in my life. Favor is what this chapter is all about. The favor of God, the goodness of God, the character of God that opens doors in our life when we didn't even realize there was a door there in the first place. And this chapter outlines two things that open the door of favor in a person's life. Two things. Two things. Do you want to know what those two things are? I can close the sermon right here. So there we go. Let's all go. There are two things. First thing is this. It's called the invisible hand of God. Favor reminds me that God is working even when I think he's sleeping. It reminds me God's working when I'm not praying. It also reminds me that God's still working when I'm tripping out in unfaithful living. Because this whole thing is reliant on his faithfulness, not my faithfulness. You know that? This whole covenant thing started with God walking through those split animals. You know, Abraham's over there. He's knocked out, right? Who walks through? God. God is saying, this whole thing is resting on me. I'm so glad it rests on him and not on me. I'm so glad that this church rests on him and not on me. You guys should be super glad that this thing is resting on him and not on Dave. Because let me tell you, there are times that I am simply tripping out in unfaithful living before God. And by his grace and by his faithfulness, he will bring me back. And if I'm smart, I'll do it straight away, right? It is a painful thing if you are so stubborn and you keep like, kicking against the... You know what I'm saying? Like If you find yourself somehow in, in another pasture, in, a, in another field, you're tripping out an unfaithful living and then God comes and taps you gently on the shoulder and says, why don't you come back? Common sense will say, okay, do that straight away because if you keep on kicking against that, that sucker's going to hurt you. You know what I'm saying? Word to the wise. <laughs> There's a reason why some things aren't working. It's because God told you to do something and you're still not doing it. Anyway, 
There is an invisible hand of God that is never resting and continually guiding, directing, and redirecting our lives. We call this the providence of God, the providence of God. From verse 2, it says this, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Before we go on, I love Ruth. Ruth is a feisty woman. She understands, she recognizes, because she's a foreigner, because she's on the outside, she is limited. There is certain parameters within which she can actually um, step because she's a foreigner. But she doesn't let those parameters stop her, right? Ladies, she does not let those parameters stop her. She goes to someone else and actually rides on her coattails to actually allow her to step outside of the parameters that have actually been given to her. Isn't that amazing? That this woman, a foreigner, would not be content and say, okay, Ruth, you're supposed to just be here. And she says, "Uh uh-uh, I'm actually going to find a way to step out of that and actually go into the things that God has for me. Ruth is an amazing, amazing woman. If we had some more Ruths in this world, I tell you what, we would see some radical change happen in this world. I love her. She's Ruth. Amazing. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my, da- my daughter. So she went out into the field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech, the invisible hand of God. One thing which I experienced on a regular occurrence um, in Carousel. Anyone been to Carousel? Anyone go to Carousel during the Christmas season? Smart church. When I take um, Kayla and Jackson to Carousel, it's always an interesting um, experience. And I find particularly with Jackson, I mean, Kayla tends to stay pretty close, but with Jackson, Jackson's a boy, and things get our attention, you know what I'm saying? As far as fellas are concerned, there's lights, there's sound, so he's over there, and he's over there, and he's over there, and he's over there, which is okay, except for the fact that I'm up here, and I can see what's coming, and he's down there, and he can only see kneecaps. So very often, I'm standing over here, my eyes are over here, Jackson's over there, 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 and I can see there's a crazy person coming with a trolley, and he's about to knock my, my son out. Anyone else experience that? And, and, and I can try and say, okay, Jackson, come close and all that. That doesn't tend to happen. So this is what I do, all right? And he might understand why I do this right now because I've never explained it to him. But this is what I do. I get my hand and I place my hand on his head. Not on his back. That doesn't work. On his head. And from that, I'm actually like sort of like, does any other parent do this? I'm not just a crazy Anglo-Indian parent. Like, I, I, yeah, you do that, Chelsea? It's not just a guy thing, it's a mum thing as well. Yeah, so I do that and, 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 and my hand is guiding him because he can't see it. But there's a crazy woman coming with a, with a shopping trolley about to bust his kneecap. That happens, doesn't it? Now let me tell you this. My children have never, not once, acknowledged my hand on their head, guiding them safely through carousel. Not once. Not once. I may have saved their life. Not once. I'll tell you what they do do as well. They always acknowledge my hand when it reaches for my wallet. And you know what? I desperately want them to acknowledge my hand when it reaches for my wallet. I want my children to know that there are certain things in life that dad can get them that they cannot get themselves. I want them to know that. That's really, really important. Bring that into a spiritual sense. 
We deploy all sorts of spiritual disciplines as Christians. Why? Because we want to get some traction and we want to see the visible hand of God, don't we? Don't we do that? You know? We'll pray, we'll pray for breakthrough, we'll fast, we'll meditate on scripture, we, 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 we sometimes get giving sort of twisted, and sometimes we want to give so we receive. We do not give so we receive, we give so we can be like a heavenly father. For God so loved the world that he gave. God gives, so we give. God's generous. Have you checked out the planet today? It's remarkable. Have you checked out the butterflies? Have you checked out the blades of grass? Have you checked out the clouds? Have, have you seen, have you beheld all the of creation that God has so generously provided and given for us? You know, we give because we're like Him. Now, if you get a miracle, God bless you. But I don't give in order to get a miracle. That's trying to twist God, you know what I'm saying? But sometimes we even do that. We deploy these spiritual disciplines because we're eager to see the visible hand of God. Because we acknowledge that there is so much that we need that only our Heavenly Father can provide for us. Healing, breakthrough, deliverance. I mean, I can't do that. Only He can do that. And God has shown Himself faithful and compassionate and willing to intervene at certain points of history. And I think all of us would have a testimony of God moving on our behalf but that's the visible hand of God and when God moves man we'd be the first to jump up and down don't we I mean I am if God moves if God does something praise God I'm going to worship you I'm going to praise you it's easy to do that when we see the visible hand of God let me ask you a question how often do we acknowledge the invisible hand of God working in and through our life verse 3 says as she went out, she entered the field and began to glean behind the harvesters as it turned out. She was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech, as it turned out. Now, the fields in those days aren't like the farms of today. You know, you go to the farms of today, you see these fences and it, it is easy to designate like whose field is field and whose property is, is which. No, this is a plot of land which is like miles out of Bethlehem and the only distinguish between the fields is that they've just got rocks. Just so happens, Scripture says, as it turned out. Now, that's a little bit of humour that's put in there by the author. We don't read it that way, but he's come and say, check it out. Who would have thought? It just so happened, as it turned out, she just happens, and not just happens, she just happens to go into that field at the exact same moment that Boaz, coming from Bethlehem, comes on the scene. Ruth is letting us know that God is actually involved in some setups in our life. As it turned out, there are ordained setups that happen a lot more than what you would possibly think or imagine. I remember, I was thinking about this this morning, it was about nine years ago, I was in my office up at Riverview, enjoying a great job, fantastic. I was in my office, I was looking up some stuff, and for some reason, the webpage of Kelmscott Church of Christ popped up on my screen, right? I'm thinking, what is up with this, right? I'm about to go into something else, so I feel, no, I'm going to look at it. So I'm starting to look at it, it was a nasty website. I was looking at the website. It was nasty. I'm looking at the website. Something went in my heart, right? 
After that, I had a Sunday morning off. I was scheduled Saturday night. I was rostered on and Sunday night. I was rostered on, had a Sunday morning free. Didn't have much to do. I was just driving around. And I remember I was driving around here and it was after the service here. I actually drove in here and people were looking at me. So what are you doing here? Um, and then I sort of wrote, but I was actually found myself praying for this church nine years ago. Funny to me that God would actually have me stop looking at a web page of a church and going to that location of the church and praying for the very church that I would lead. Now, you might think, you know what, that's kind of coincidental, isn't it? That's kind of coincidence. Um, I reckon it's a little bit more than coincidence. Look back over your life. As it turned out, <laughs> we're so familiar with the sentiment, you know, what a coincidence. What a small world. How crazy it is. You know what? I was going in the train and, and I was going this way and, and you came on exactly the same character. I haven't seen you in years. What a coincidence. Coincidence? Maybe. Could be. More probable though is providence. God is moving. God is shaping. God is leading. God is guiding us without us even being aware. What do you do in this situation? I think that this gives us opportunity in any given time, any given moment, to give thanks to God, to recognize that he is in more control than what we give him credit for, that he is actually the one who is leading us and guiding us. Allow that to renew us, to stir faith in our lives. So there are going to be times when you might look at me and I'll be praising, I'll be worshipping God. And you may be thinking, what's going on, Dave? Has God done something for your life? And I've got to tell you, I'm not praising God for what He's done in my life. I'm praising Him and giving Him thanks in acknowledgement that even though I can't see anything right now, there is an invisible hand of God. He has His hand on my head and He is leading me and He is guiding me through this crazy carousel kind of world and He's taking me on a journey somewhere. I'm going to praise Him for that. Have you ever given Him praise for that? that He actually brought you through 2019, that He brought you to another decade, that He brought you through that, that marriage breakdown, that He still brought you through. I am preaching a lot better than what you're responding, just so you know. There are doors of favour that God is guiding us towards. You come to God and you went for a job and you didn't get the job. Well, I'm going to thank you, God. I'm going to thank you, God, I didn't get the job. You know, young fella, you went up to a girl and you said, man, she looked good. Mm, mm, mm. God, she looks so fine. Oh, Lord, please, 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 please let her be mine. And you go and you ask her out. And she says, no. Because she can, by the way. <laughs> Come up to them and say, you know what? The Lord told me we're going to be married. Hey, get out of freak. Wait a minute. No, God, I'm going to thank you. That even though that door closed, I know you're still leading me and you're still guiding me and you're going to take me to an open door. Thanksgiving is essential for Christianity. If you want to experience more of the presence of the Lord, be thankful. You can't be miserable. You can't be. Don't rock up the church miserable. You're not going to experience God. You're looking around and say, everyone else is just enjoying the Lord. I can't feel a thing. I'm like, well, start giving him thanks. I remember when I was younger, and I'm a lot I'm younger than a lot of people here, but, but we used to sing songs that reminded us all the time to give thanks, to praise God. Now, one of the songs, I will enter His gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter His, thought, His courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for He has made me glad. 
mate, we need to bring some of that stuff back. So that's the first one, the invisible hand of God. Jess says, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> no, we're not doing that song. Jess said, no. Second thing, there is a hinge. There is a hinge. This is the point of this chapter. Everything funnels down to a question, and that question is, the answer to that question is the hinge. Here's the question in verse 10. At this she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? That's a great question. That if there is this amazing thing that's happened in your life, that you would actually step back and say, what is going on here? This is not normal behavior. This is not a normal experience. Something outside of the normal has just happened to me. What's going on here? To ask that question, she's a wise, wise, smart girl. The answer to this question is the hinge. And like I said before, we can't be too sure about the doors of favor that are going to open in your life and in my life. You can't really, you haven't really got too much, uh, you can't really do too much about the invisible hand of God, can you? You know, he's got his hand on your head and he's moving you and he's guiding you and God seems to be pretty stubborn about being God. So you say, God, I want to go that way. And he says, no, you're going this way. <laughs> God sent Andrew and I to Armadale. We didn't want to come to Armadale. I grew up in Armadale. I left Armadale. You know, that was my plan. And God said, no, you're going back. You know, Brett, did you want to be a pastor here? Like, you never saw that. But that's the invisible hand of God, isn't it? We can't do too much about the invisible hand of God, but we can do everything about the hinge. All right? That is my point. You cannot do too much about the invisible hand of God, the providence of God, but we have a lot to do with the hinge. And here is the hinge. Verse 11, pay attention to the hinge. Boaz replied, I've been told about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you come to take refuge. There's so much there, which we can't get into it. Who else talked about wings? And Anyway. Um, oh, that's so good. Anyway, got to move on. I've been told about what you've done for your mother-in-law. So Ruth asked the question, why have I found such favor in your eyes? And Boaz lets her know it's because of your faithfulness. Faithfulness is the hinge that opens doors that you did not even know were there in the first place. Nothing glamorous, nothing sexy about it, nothing to post to Instagram about. Just day in, day out, living right before God. Honoring God, looking after the vulnerable, giving what you don't have. Faithfulness, that's it. And I've got to be honest, faithfulness is becoming a lost art in this world and a lost art in this church. And as I'm working around the city and I'm even working and mentoring even young leaders and young adult leaders and, you know, anyone younger than me, I'm looking and I'm seeing that there seems to be this attitude of entitlement that is creeping in as opposed to an attitude and posture of faithfulness. Faithfulness is the hinge that opens the doors of favor on your life. Faithfulness is one of those insipid words. You know, faithfulness. We use it all the time. I don't mean too much. It's a bit insipid. 
So a couple of years ago, in time for our 500-year anniversary um, there was a, uh, of the Reformation, there's an author called Matthew Bates. He published a book which wanted to give a little bit more oomph to this word faithfulness. And the title of his book was Salvation by Allegiance Alone. Allegiance Alone. That gives a little bit more oomph, doesn't it? Oomph. Allegiance to Jesus. Our whole life is in devotion to him. There's a word in the Bible which is called pistis that Paul uses all the time. What's he saying? He is calling the church on to faithfulness. That's what they, you read it. Throughout the New Testament, throughout Pauline scripture, pistis, 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 over and over and over again. It's to remain faithful. It's to remain loyal. It's like you started well, now keep on going. All right? You started well, okay, you got off a little bit, now get back on and actually keep on going. Remaining and staying faithful. And you know, what? all of us here who follow Jesus Christ, there are, there are words that, that we're waiting to hear from the mouth of Jesus, aren't we? Well done, good and faithful servant. You know? We're not waiting for, well done, good and skilled servant, or well done, Dave, you're, you're a great preacher, well done. No, God, Jesus weighs things different to how we weigh things. You know, you, you may look at, at people or ministers or even a church and you may see this vast, glorious, amazing thing and, and, and Jesus saying, yeah, I'm not interested in that. What I'm interested in and what I am weighing is the faithfulness of my people. That, that you started and you kept on going and you kept on going and you got knocked down, but you got back up and you kept on going. Faithfulness, to keep on going. Faithfulness is what he weighs. In the book of Acts, the disciples were looking for someone else to replace Judas because he killed himself. Remember that? It's incredible and actually really insightful to see the things that they were looking for in the candidates that they would choose. Acts 1 verse 21 says this, Therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken from us from uh, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And you may think, wow, that doesn't sound like, whoa, so what? Well, wait a minute. There are times in Jesus' ministry where people left him. And not just people, not just the crowd. There are moments when disciples left him. John chapter 6, he says something very, very harsh. And he turns around to them, the disciples say, who can, who can actually believe this? Who can do this? Jesus looks at them and says, oh, are, you defended? are you offended? And they walk away from him. He turns around to Peter and says, you're going to go as well? And Peter says, where would we go? You have the words of life. In Jesus' own ministry, there are disciples who turn away and walk away. Don't be surprised if you see those who profess to be disciples turn away and walk away. But Jesus is looking for faithfulness. That's not sexy, is it? This message started really good, and now you guys are going, oh, Dave, you brought in that. Of course I did. Because I love you. Of course I did. Because I'm for you. Of course I did. Here's what happens when you walk with the Lord. The hinge of faithfulness gets eroded. Disappointment comes. Sometimes it really does hit the fan, doesn't it? And not just sometimes, sometimes a lot of times. It really does. Disappointments come, comparison comes, anxiety. It hits our heart. 
There are times when expectations are not met. And that hinge starts to erode. Our allegiance to Jesus starts to erode. And it starts to wane. And as we're about to step into a brand new season, brand new decade, brand new year, how's that hinge going for you? Because you and I can't do too much about the invisible hand of God on us. Whether or not God opens doors, that's his business. You know what I'm saying? He knows a lot more. He has a bigger uh, picture than what I do. I can't try to manipulate God to do this and to do that. But what I can do is remain faithful to him. To remain faithful to being a follower of Jesus Christ. To remain faithful, to stay devoted, to stay in love with my beautiful, amazing Jesus. To stay committed to a local church, right? I've got to be honest, there are people in our church, I see them once every four weeks, once every six weeks, or like maybe at Easter or Christmas, and I just need to encourage you. That's not faithfulness. It's not. It's not. And maybe God's actually kind of tapping you on the shoulder and say, okay, I desperately want to see doors of favor open in your life, but it's going to require that you get some of that oil out and start oiling these hinges so that when the time comes, that door flings open freely. And as that door flings open, you can walk freely into the things that I have for you. Does that make sense? There is a hinge that opens doors in your life and in my life. And the hinge is faithfulness before God. Let me pray for you. After we pray, we're going to worship. And as I said before, there are people here and you could feel you're on a precipice of something new. And I just want to come alongside you. I want to acknowledge you. I'm just going to get some oil. I'm not going to saturate you in it because I only got a little bit. But I'm going to come alongside you in agreement. And I'm just going to do a short prayer and pray and put on you and believing that doors are going to fling wide open from January 1, 2020. And in this moment, look at your hinge. Faithfulness. Is it something that needs some oiling? Is it something that's eroded? Well, how about we step into 2020, ensuring that that hinge of faithfulness is well-oiled so those doors can just fling wide open and we can step into them. Is that all right?